uh, we, we celebrate our, our Lord's triumph. And as we do, we want to welcome uh, today uh, the uh, wonderful family. You may know them, the uh, Crawfords back with us here this morning. It's great to see them and welcome. Amen. They have... Uh, they have, they have been honoring of the Lord's purposes for their lives and have stepped out in faith, and God has done great things, and uh, we're delighted to have them here today. We, we loved you at a distance, and now we get to love you in presence today, so we thank God for you. And I want to uh, also uh, welcome uh, a beloved, uh, we believe that God has uh, brought you to be home with us today, and we're delighted to have uh, Joanne Martin here this morning, and uh, we love you. It's good to see you. Uh, I, I will uh, hope to get a hug from you before the day's over. I saw you from back there, um, and I didn't want to come up uh, during the worship time, although I could have, and uh, I didn't, but it's good to have you here today. Good to see all of you. If you're visiting Bethel and you would uh, like to connect, we per- periodically have had uh, luncheons. We haven't done so much of that since all this crazy stuff has taken place. But uh, you know, we are we're 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 living today. We're not we're not going to live afraid, right? We're not going to live in fear. We're not going to live restricted. So we'd like to. Um, have a, uh, a luncheon sometime after church in the near future for any of you who have been visiting with Bethel, uh, for any of those who are online that uh, uh, perhaps you're with us. Uh, and we've had a number of people who have come into Bethel over time, and I realize today's not the best of representations of that because we uh, have a lot of people on the road, but we want to welcome all of you, and uh, we'd like to have a luncheon. So maybe we'll we'll get some kind of um, uh, sign up together. And if you, this is for newcomers, those who have um, coming into Bethel. We'd just like to have some of our our team have lunch with you, Robin and I, and a few others. And uh, what we've done is have a, a small luncheon out here in the uh, atrium for those who. Um, are new to Bethel and with some of the staff, so welcome today. I'd like to uh, pick up on the uh, the message that uh, I somewhat started. We've given you a handout, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to to reflect back on that and see where we've been this morning. But I want to talk about freedom's life statement. You know, um, I don't want to live my life restricted. Uh, because of uh, the fact that I can't control everything around me. You know, sometimes we, we really don't live free because we can't. We live frustrated. We lose our focus as believers uh, because uh, sometimes we see things that are so troubling to us. And, and um, the one thing that we should do is uh, with those things which are troubling, when it's within our power uh, to do something, when it's within our uh, calling to do something, we should, but we can always pray and uh, pray over situations and pray that not only God will change people, but that God will change us. You know, because I have found more of my prayers are focused on uh, God changing my mindset and my heart because uh, sometimes uh, cloaked beneath my Christian concern is contempt for people. Anybody ever deal with that? 
Uh, you know, you see things happening in life and in the world, and some of it's not really pleasant to see, but I don't want to walk around with a spirit of contempt for people. Because Jesus, when he died upon the cross, he made intercession for the people that he was dying for when he asked the Lord God, the Father, to forgive them for they didn't understand what it was they were doing. And, you know, most people in that situation probably wouldn't be focusing their prayers for God to forgive the people who are afflicting them. And so, God, we pray that this world will come to know mercy and, and grace and restoration and know the fullness of God's love. Lord, we thank you for our, our neighbors, our co-workers, our schoolmates. Uh, Lord, all of the people that we see, all of those that we think of today that, Lord, are a part of our lives that need to know the grace and the love of God. We pray, Father, that we will be walking, living, breathing representations of God's love and this living Christ among them. And uh, Philippians 1 um, uh, there's um again. Uh, verse 15, it says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. So just to get this part of it, uh, to make this statement here at the beginning is that uh, Paul's incarcerated, he's under house arrest, and he realizes that during his detention that there were those who were out and they were uh, preaching uh, the gospel that he preached, but they were doing so with different motivations. And he said, uh, you know, yes, there were those who preached from envy and strife. Um, you know, those are not two good foundations from which to minister to people, envy and strife. Uh, and he says, and some also from goodwill. He recognized that there was a lot of gospel going out, and some of it was with good, uh, with good intentions, uh, from a good disposition, and then there were, were others that were doing it for their own gain. Uh, he says, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. You know, Paul realized that during his detention that there were those who really wanted to undermine and to uh, bring harm to his ministry. Uh, you know, they did so, they exploited the vacuum that was created when uh, Paul was incarcerated. And, you know, he could have done a lot of things, but during that time, uh, he chose to look at it in a different way than maybe what natural impulse would. And he says, uh, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, and yes, will rejoice. You know, whenever we think about that scripture there, he was grateful that the gospel was going out. And um, as we mentioned last uh, week, in Galatians 1.8, he speaks about uh, those who preach any other gospel uh, being cursed. And, uh, and here he is actually rejoicing that there were people who uh, for their own motivations were preaching the gospel and he was grateful that the gospel was going out. So in one hand, he, he rejoices that the gospel is going out even if the people who are bringing the gospel are not living right. He rejoices that the gospel is going out 
And uh, yet in Galatians 1.8, he, he speaks that those who preach any other gospel should be accursed. So the, the difference there is that there were people who were preaching a corrupt message. They were preaching a false gospel. And, you know, there's no blessing on a false gospel. There is no blessing on a hybrid gospel that contains some truth and just a lot of other ingredients. There's no blessing on that. That's not the pure word of God. It's a corruption, and Paul recognizes that that should be uh, accursed by God himself. But here he's rejoicing that even though there are those who have false motives for preaching the gospel, that the word is going out because God honors his word. God always honors his word. And, you know, that's the one thing that as I read this gospel, this today, this epistle, that, that Paul rejoiced that even though he was detained, even though there were people out there who were really trying to bring harm to his, him and to his ministry and to undermine what he had done, those who had uh, spirits of jealousy who were doing what they were doing because they realized that Paul was out of action, so to speak, so that they could uh, uh, you know, advance themselves, advance their ministries. You know, Paul didn't seem to get too worked up about that because he knew he couldn't control it. He was not in a position to get out there and to address it personally. So he knew he couldn't control this. And, you know, obviously God's never out of control of anything. But there are a lot of things that God allows to happen that I don't understand why he does. But I don't need to understand it. How many of you have ever wondered why God allows certain things to happen and you haven't drawn any conclusions about it yet? Uh, And that's okay. Because God is sovereign That means he has the absolute right to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whoever he wants. He doesn't need my permission. He doesn't need my consent. He doesn't need my understanding. And I have to be in a place where I can be at peace with that and understand that God's will will be advanced. That there's nothing that anyone can do to stop the advancement of whatever God purposes to do. And so Paul has somewhat of a peace here and a joy knowing that, you know what, even if they're trying to cause harm to me, even if they're trying to gain for themselves and to build a following and a reputation for themselves, he says, I'm happy that they're preaching the gospel. I rejoice that the word of God is going out. And so I, I say that to say this to you today. It's not, it may be a different context, but let's not become, uh, let's not lose our focus because of what other people do. Because we're surrounded by people in this world who do things that aren't right. And if we spend our time trying to micromanage every situation and to pull it into control when we can't do it, then we lose sight of what our purpose is and our calling. And we lose sight of the fact that God can work in spite of what people do. How many know that God can work in spite of what legislators do? He can can work in spite of what groupings and people and things that happen in this world. God's still advancing his purpose. When When those three Hebrew children were thrown into the fiery furnace, how many know that that worked out pretty well for, for God's side? 
You know, because it was in the flame of that furnace that there was revealed a fourth person. Aren't you glad that sometimes that God doesn't extinguish the flames of the furnace and take us away from the furnace, but he allows us to go through that fire so that he can be revealed? You know, people will learn more about God sometimes by virtue of how we navigate, how we walk through the fire than simply being placed in a more favorable position at the time. And so, you know, Paul is not in the most favorable of positions to address the things that were going on. And he just simply surrenders to the knowledge that in this case, I may not be in control of the situation, but God is. And his word is being preached. And here's the thing that we always keep in mind, that God honors his word even when he doesn't honor the messenger. You know, it's the word of God that God honors, you know. Sometimes there's this deep divide between the message and the messenger, and the anointing may not necessarily rest upon that messenger, but the word is always anointed. Sometimes we pray that God's word would be anointed. How many know it's already anointed? The anointing has to flow through us. You know, we have to be moving in alignment with the anointing that God places upon the messenger and the recipient of the word. And he says that he is confident that all of this will work out for him. You know, understanding this, that even when we can't control what happens around us, and even when things are done either maybe purposefully or just out of ignorance against us, it doesn't mean that we are going to lose. It just simply means that we are going to have to rest this situation into the hands of God and know that it will all work out. What's the worst thing that can happen to anybody here? Ow. You could hit your elbow on that. We die. But Paul says in this text, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Come on, church. How many of us have loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord and from what you read in Scripture and what the sweet spirit of God says, they're in a better place than you are. The hard part, the grief part of this is the separation that we experience here. And we look through that glass dimly because we're not necessarily there yet. God has shown us things. He reveals things to us. But we, we're not there yet. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if I'm present in the body, it's not, I'm not in that final place that God or that place with God that he's going to bring me. So, you know, Paul realizes that it's all going to work out, for the, not only for him, but it's going to work out for the advancement of the gospel, more importantly. How many know that's what really is the most important element of this, that the gospel be advanced? Sometimes uh, Christians suffer at the hands of others, and there's no, there's no what do you call that? There's no, uh, there's no uh, uh, process to address the situation as dealt, you know, as 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 play, you know, done, uh, as something is done wrongly to someone, and you know what? Sometimes things aren't resolved. So don't walk around the rest of your life waiting for an apology from someone who may never apologize to you. 
someone who doesn't know how to apologize or can't bow themselves before the Lord, they may never apologize to you. They may never behave rightly, but that should not be a reason for us to lose our focus. God wants to advance the gospel through us. And if we're wrapped up in the offenses that come by things that we can't control, we're no longer living for Christ. We're living needing comfort from something that really uh, is, is not that important. How many know your feelings aren't always that important in life? That's hard because we like to coddle ourselves with self-pity at times. Anybody ever have a pity party beside me? I have found that only three people ever come, me, myself, and I. And, you know, I don't want to live my life that way. I, God has, has set too much in front of us uh, to be in, focused on and involved with, to be wrapped up in whatever anybody else does. Paul says, in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. That's the important part, is that Christ be seen in us, regardless if it's in times of adversity or great, great favor. And he says, for to me to live is Christ. How many will say that with me today? For to me to live is Christ. That means that's what I'm all about. That means that Jesus isn't a part of my life. He is the the heart. He's the foundation. He's the head of all things pertaining to my walk with him. And he says to die is gain. For if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor and yet... Uh, What I shall choose, I cannot know. You know, we talk about freedom today. People have been searching it for thousands of years. You remember in Genesis, I believe chapter 3, when man forfeited his freedom, when he sinned against God and he became enslaved to all of the things that would come with his, that would follow his disobedience and his rebellion toward God. You know, the perfect freedom that God created in the Garden of Eden was gone. And the long-term effects of both the physical and spiritual uh, consequences would, would be felt throughout our day. You know, too many people are living in spiritual slavery without realizing it. They chase after false gods of money, success, personal comfort. And romantic love, and you know, uh, you know, I, I someday I want to speak about uh, what love is, because I, I know we say love is love, but you know that's a general statement that someone authored, and you know the Bible defines love in its purest form, and it's a righteous love, it's a redemptive love, it's a it's a lo- it's a love of grace and mercy. So there's a lot of people who have a, a, their own definition of what love is, but how many know God does love the whole world righteously? He loves every person that was ever created with a redemptive love, and he reaches out and he seeks to draw men to himself that they might know true life. But not everything that we call love is love. There is a righteous, godly love that God wants us to walk in. God's answer to our loss of freedom has always been Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, honestly, who's the answer for the whole world? It's Jesus Christ. I was talking to someone the other day 
and they said to me, um, you know, there was, uh, they said, uh, made a statement uh, to me that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want any of this religious crap. And excuse that word, but that's what they said, you know. And, uh, you know, they were waiting for a response <laughs> uh, from me. And I, didn't, I just loved them right on through the conversation. Because I wasn't going to stop and make what they said the focus of our conversation. I wasn't going to allow that to become where we land. You know, uh, you know, the woman at the well had all kinds of things and ideas about how to guide Jesus' conversation into a place where she was more comfortable going, but Jesus just continued forward. And I want to say that God has called us to be faithful to the mission when we see and hear things that really kind of fly in the face of, uh, of truth. And i got to be honest, too. I'm not much for religion without Jesus. Knowing Christ, knowing, without knowing Christ, religion is, 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 a, is a lot of baggage to carry. Religion. God is not religion, right? God is not religion. He's bigger than religion. He's more person, he is more personal than religion. Religion can be a cold, harsh, legalistic, lifeless thing that is used for wrong purposes. But Jesus came to free us from death and sin and anything that enslaves us. God gives us freedom to choose our own paths. As we were here the last time, I want to say that God wants us to have a life and ministry that is centered in Christ and all for his glory does not focus on discrediting others at the expense of the gospel that is delivered in truth regardless of their motives. Sometimes the messengers are dubious in their personal motives, but God's work and his word is still delivered through them. The results are not always an endorsement of an individual, but an endorsement of the word of God and its inherent power. Other motives do not change our personal and corporate mission our mission in Christ. His mission becomes our mission. We are to move in Christ with purpose and focus and commitment. As we mentioned last time from Scripture, there's a judge who will judge the motives behind all of that which is done in his name. You know, and we made reference to the, the, the judgment seat of Christ and how there's coming a time when we will give an accounting uh, for what we've done. Though we be saved, God is, not, God is still interested in, in the motives. And he's interested in that which is worthy of his name. The value of a life statement is, is it's a statement that comes from perf- not from perfection but grows out of a personal desire relationship and commitment to Christ. It is a spiritual template for the journey that we follow that is launched in purpose, realized in the journey of faith, and is always and is to be rewarded at the conclusion of the race. A life statement is constant. You know, Paul made a life statement. He said, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. You know, life, that was, that was, the, uh, that was the framework for his life, for his plans, for his reactions. Everything was framed within that statement. And, you know, that's a great life statement. That means that whatever comes, whatever others do, my purpose in living is in Christ. 
Come on, church, is that your purpose for being here today is Christ? You're not doing this for for something less than that, right? We're here because of Christ. We love the Lord. He loves us. And it's great to love the Lord who loves us when we're with people we love and those whom we will get to know as well. Doesn't coming together kind of excite you because you have come together to reinforce the, the, the statement of faith? that has governed your personal life through the course of the week. And maybe you need an infusion today into that life statement. Because life, isn't, life is not choreographed according to our, our, our statements. But, you know, that doesn't mean that everything in life is going to fall in line with our statements. Sometimes there are going to be things that come against us that run headfirst into us because of our statement in Christ. There's going to be persecution, there's going to be adversity, there's going to be things that come our way that are going to challenge that life statement. And maybe you're here today and you've had a lot challenging your life statement in Christ and God wants you to be encouraged today. How many will receive encouragement today in your life? You say, I'm going to receive that encouragement. I'm going to receive fuel in my spiritual gas tank and it's not $5 a gallon. Amen. We got two bikes hanging in the garage. So, Robin, you, know, you think we should maybe, we're good. We, we got bikes. We probably have a heart attack riding them, but they, they, we could get on them. Regardless of what the day brings, the sails in Christ are raised. No matter what life brings, how many know God wants the sails to be raised because we are going forth in Christ and we are setting sail. And the winds of the Holy Spirit are going to guide us regardless of what the things in life might bring. Regardless of what others do, our focus is set as flint. Isaiah in chapter 50, you know, he makes this statement and and it really is a, a prophetic word. It says, for the Lord, it will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like flint. That I, and I know that I will not be ashamed. That resolve, living our lives with a godly resolve in Christ is the most important thing that we can do every day. We resolve. It, you know, I've already made this statement, Robin, in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming that you're going to live to be 130. And uh, I don't know that I'll make it that long. But, uh, you know, on, on my... On my tombstone, other than pepperoni, and I really like mushrooms, but um, my wife hates mushrooms, by the way. That's, that means nothing. That was the flesh peeking out. Um, on a tombstone, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Doesn't matter if it's carved into wood and stuck in the ground or written on a on a you know well don't do it in paper because the weather will be bad for it. But I just want I that's what I want to live, and that's what I want the commentary to be in my life when I leave this world. I don't care about the rest of the stuff because if we live for Christ everything else will be ordered as it should it'll find its place in us and when we leave this world you know people say poor guy look he's down there no he's not he's with the lord for me to live as Christ to die is gain come on church can you say that with me this morning to die is gain come on say it with me 
To die is gain. You know, I speak to a group of people who are in the uh, dementia unit. I'm going to tell you, they're the most participatory group that I've ever ministered to. Because I'll say, hey, would you say this together with me? And they're already saying it before I start. And we can, well, no, I'm not going to, but we, we have some of uh, just the beautiful people because I want them to have something. If they don't remember anything else that was said during that little bit of time that we have, I want them to know to live as Christ and to die as gain. If they don't remember anything else, I want them to remember that. Because the truth of the matter is, even as we pastors, we preach and we hope for some type of uh, a masterpiece, homiletical masterpiece. I want to tell you, most people don't remember beyond a week what we've said. But people will never forget how we live. I'm not saying preaching the word isn't important, but how many of you honestly can say a week out, you, 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 most of the time, you can't specifically remember what was preached? I'm not saying you don't come to church if you're a kid here and say, Mom, why should we go? We're not going to remember it anyhow. But I want to tell you this. People are going to remember a lot more the way you live, the way I live this thing. You know, they don't care that you're in church. Hey, most of the world couldn't care less that you're here. But what will impact their lives is that life statement that says, for me to live is Christ. It's the most concise picture of what a life in Christ is to be and what death really is for a believer. It's so concise, 12 words. A 12-word mission statement, life statement. It travels well. Paul in his letter references things that uh, he, he, could not, he could not have known other than God. And he makes declarations concerning the things that, that, that are known in Christ. He says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He said, it's going to work out for me. How many in church today will say, it's going to work out for me? That's a great thing to know. You live this life, you win. God takes you home. We win. I want everybody that ever sits in a funeral or a memorial or a celebration of life with me to know that this is not a, 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 a we don't, we grieve, but not like people without hope. Come on, church. If we have hope in this life only, we're of all men most miserable. But man, we celebrate And that's hard to do because our feelings and our emotions and our physical reality sometimes challenge what God's Word says. I I think I might have started this. Our feelings are not always in alignment with God's Word. Paul could have gone by his feelings and say, you know, when I get out there, I can't do anything right now, but you wait! When I get out there, I'm going to hunt them down like dogs. He said, no, it's all good. I rejoice because the gospel's being preached. 
Sometimes we get so fixated on how things affect our feelings, and our feelings rule the way we live. How many have ever had that happen before? Everybody. Feelings rule over the truth of God's Word. Oh, I just don't feel God today, so does that mean He's not here? Does that mean He doesn't exist? Or is God who He says He is? He says, I even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no other. How many believe that today? He says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. How many believe that today? Come on, church. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will never leave you, never forsake you? Because if you believe that, and I believe that, then we need to live as though we believe that. And I haven't, I didn't, I don't always get A's in that class. In fact, sometimes sea level would be looking up. But how many know we're growing and God is gracious to us? The only thing he requires of us is a willingness to grow. 2 Corinthians 5, 1, For we know that our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul knew this. And so it's going to work out. Paul's life statement, and I'm almost finished here, framed his uh, perception of the situation. It provided context to his present challenges. You see, that's the context that the church has to have today. I do. Oh, we're all, we're, we're, we're done. We're terrible. No hope. Uh, you know, God's got, they're going to shut the government down. Come on now. Can you say that with me? Come on now. The government isn't shutting the church down. Come on. God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you believe that? Then let's stop talking about the government shutting the church down. Because we know it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Even if we have to go out and meet in a field, it's not going to happen. You know, other countries, we were over in Slovakia, and they, were, they, were, they literally were worshiping out in the middle of a field. They were literally worshiping in a bank that the bank allowed them to use on Sundays. I mean, they were, they were worshiping in shacks and shanties. Reality, that is the truth. And I got to tell you, they, had pro, they didn't have first-rate music. They didn't have, uh, you know, they didn't have, a lot of their preachers had only been, their pastors had only been saved for a month or two months. You say, well, that can't, well, that can't work. I want to tell you, God makes it work. Because they were, when I was there, everything I heard them preach was gospel. And you say, well, I need the deeper stuff. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes it's the, it's the little shallow things that leads us into the deeper things. We don't stay in the shallows, but we're moving in. And as you walk, it gets deeper and deeper. And I want to tell you, the thing I remember about those people were, um, we, we were, went to a home and there was a woman um, and, and I'm going to tell you, some of you have been on more trips and things, and you've seen a lot. Uh, but over there, and I have pictures of these places, but, uh, and I took them from afar on a hill because they, we didn't want to take pictures of the people, you know, and make, make them feel that we were a show-and-tell thing. But, um, you know, the thing was, um, cardboard houses, literally cardboard houses, 
And the day I took the picture from on the hill, it was a, a particularly gloomy day. It was raining, and, and there was no grass around the little shacks. It was all mud. And there was garbage lying everywhere. And, you know, the stream that they bathed in or the streams that they got their water from, you know, they're allowed to gather wood from the, from the forest, as, and, uh, but they're only allowed to gather the fallen wood, not cut trees down. But they, can, but they are only allowed to have so much. And if they take any more than exactly what they're allowed to take, they're arrested. And I want to tell you, uh, these people... They, they, they set food out for the group of pastors that were there. And I got to tell you, I didn't know where it came from. I thought when they, when they said we were going to have lunch that it was going to be like, you know, groundhog or something. Like that. But they came up with stuff and they sat this stuff and loaded the table up. And none of them would eat until the pastors had eaten. And they smiled and asked, can we help you? And I got to tell you, it was so humbling. And it was so, it showed something to me. And these people had church. It's amazing what we think we have to have in order to have church in America. Whatever happened to the Holy Spirit? Come on, church. Oh, if we don't have this, we can't have church. If the the temperature's not set at 72.4... And some people, 65, whatever, they, whatever your preference is. It, I'm just uncomfortable. I can't. I can't. I want to tell you, if you're too cold, bring a, bring a coat. If you're too cold. If you're too hot, just leave your clothes on. That's all. <laughs> Anyhow, we're... I'm going to finish this. His life statement allowed him to focus on the objective rather on, than on the circumstances and the things and even the misbehaviors. Sometimes we try to use God's tools in a way that they're not meant to be used because we lose touch with what we were called to do. I had a, a Chevy Vega, one of the greatest cars of, of, of terrible history. Chevy Vega as a young man, and I had two cousins that had come up from North Carolina, and I wanted them to cruise in my Bondo King car. How many know what Bondo is? A lot of, pl- a lot of putty and ride. You hit the right bump, half the car lays on the road. And, uh, you know, we were going, and I took them up into the ridge, and there was, a, there was a road that went up through the ridge, and I wanted to show them. I'm not sure what I wanted to show them, but I, I drove up this road, these ruts with rocks and mud and, you know, from four-wheel drive vehicles and me and my Chevy Vega climbing up. And I went as far as I could until underneath got hung up and the wheels weren't touching the road any longer. My uncle still remembers. I saw one of them recently and he asked me if I, how do you forget those things? But, you know, Chevy Vega wasn't made to go there. I realized that after, and so I got my cousins and my brother, and we just started piling rocks in the in the you know the gut or the ruts, and fortunately we got it off. But uh, the thing is, you know, sometimes the church is not doing what it's designed to do because we get distracted or we lose sight of it. Paul said, "No," he said, "It's all going to work out." I'm going to ask Tammy to come. How many know today? that it is going to work out. 
Come on, God's in control. You know that, right? That doesn't mean that we don't do our part. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up for what's right. It doesn't mean that we become silent and disappear. None of that. But in reality, Paul worshiped God on his bad days just like he would on his sunny days. How many of us can get a hold of that? Now, finally, He did not live in fear of being humiliated or exposed. When Christ is central in our lives, in our life statement, then life is centered in him and he is being formed in us and we're not controlled by these fears and insecurities that would otherwise encroach upon that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding, an eternal weight of glory. Joseph's insight in Genesis 50, 20 said, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. And you know, there's a goal to your life statement. And the goal is that Christ will be magnified in your body, whether by life or by death. When our life statement is centered in Christ and it's focused on Him, the most important thing doesn't, it isn't defending ourselves, it's not shutting someone else down, it's not exposing someone else. We don't live for that reason. We live to magnify the Lord. We live to worship the Lord. I don't want my life to be a a collaborative gathering of commentary that was really just focused on what other people have done wrong or what shouldn't have happened. I want to talk about what God always does right and what God seeks to do in my life and yours. Religion will never bring us to the place which, in which Paul stood, only an intimate relationship, a growing relationship, a love relationship, an intimacy. Twelve-word statement. Let me count, make sure. For to me, to live is Christ and to die well, that, I, I don't have 12 fingers, so it's 12 more letters. <laughs> Ron, you counting too? And then I was thinking about a life statement, and I was saying, God, show me another life statement in your word that's powerful and really uh, doesn't depend on what other people do. Joshua gave that. And it's, I, I counted again, and it's 12 letters, 12 words, 12 words. But as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Joshua said, but as for me and my house, regardless of what you do, whatever God anyone else serves, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, it doesn't matter what you see happening in this world today God still wants you to say 
for me to live as Christ. I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to build on that. You know, God's going to advance His kingdom. He's going to advance His church. He's going to reach the lost. He's going to give hope to the hopeless and life to those who are living in death. And I believe that God is going to do that and He cannot be resisted. Uh, He can be in certain ways. But understand this. God's plan to save will not be defeated by whatever a, 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 a politician does. Come on, how many of you will say a politician's not greater than God? God sets little men in positions and he removes them. He sets women in positions and he removes them. You know, that's not my focus today. Hey, we gotta, you know, you vote, do whatever you gotta do, but you know what? Whoever's doing whatever they're doing, Church, we got to be focused on church and on Jesus so that we can be the church. If we're going to appeal to the world, they're not going to, people are not going to die lost because lost because of laws that have been legislated. They're going to die without Christ because the church didn't live like the church. That the witness of Jesus was not the most important thing going forward. You know, Paul knew this. He knew this. He knew that the most important thing was that the church be focused on who it is in Christ and do what it is that we have been created by God's grace and empowered to do in Christ regardless of what others do. And to know it's going to be okay. Come on, church. That's going to be okay. How many can say that? It's going to be okay. Doesn't mean it's going to be okay for everybody. If you die without Christ, you rebel against God, and you die without Christ, you are lost. Not because I say it, but because God says it. And if you and people who don't know Jesus, there needs to be an urgency in our spirit. There needs to be prayerfulness and a disposition that God wants to save this lost society that we live in. We've got to believe that God wants to save this world. How many believe that? God wants to save politicians. He wants to save presidents and vice presidents and and kings and and, and chancellors and, and, and prime ministers. And God wants to save these people. Paul knew that those who were out there doing their thing were, were no threat to what God had called him to do. No threat to that at all. He, he knew that they, no matter what they did, that God was going to, to continue to give him the favor needed to do what it is he needed to do. Lord, God, pour out the Holy Spirit upon your church today. Because, Lord, uh, it's not our intellect that gets us where we need to go. It's not our monies that get us where we need to go. It's not our material things. Those are all useful and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're important in day-to-day life, but the, they're, they're not going to get us where we need to go. God, pour out the Holy Spirit on this church today. Lord, if there are people who are, uh, Lord, online, I pray that there will be people who will reach out, Lord, and say, God, right where I am this day, This is a house of worship. This is a house of worship. If this is a hospital room, if it's a hospice, if it's a, uh, if it's a retirement community, 
Lord God, if I'm home alone, Lord, we pray for the release of the Holy Spirit into homes and lives, that there'll be people who will receive healing and, and hope. Lord, that there are those who will be set free from the lie that there is no hope and there is no real joy in life because Jesus is both of those things to us. And Lord God, I pray that whether we are here or somewhere else today, that in Jesus' name we will receive the, the truth that no weapons formed against us will prosper. Because, Lord, whether in life or death, we win. We win. We win. We win. Come on, church. We win this thing. Not for our own glory, but for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Our God is a mighty God, a saving God, a loving God, a compassionate God, a God who sets the captives free. And there we serve a God who will set the captives free. How many believe that? Our God will set the captives free. He will set the captives free. He'll set the captives free in our families, in our, in our communities, Lord God, in our workplaces. We are claiming uh, the souls of men and women and children as an inheritance unto our God. Lord, we praise you and we thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor, Father, in Jesus' name. Bless those, Lord God, who have joined us in person and from afar, Lord God. We ask that the Holy Spirit would unite us as one. Hallelujah. Hey, church, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's lift the house a little bit here as people who are alive in Christ and who know uh, that we can be confident that everything's going to work out. We don't need to fret because Satan can't bring damage uh, to that which God's hand is over. Hallelujah. Father, your hand is on your family, on your children. And Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. Church, fill this house with the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hey, you know, we're going to sing this song. Can you just give me one second here? We're going to sing this song. And uh, I'm going to ask you to do something with me here just uh, for a few moments. Uh, just a few moments. I know it's Independence Day, but uh, or Independence Weekend. Tomorrow will be Independence Day. I hope you got your sparklers and twinklers or twizzlers or whatever. But here, I want to ask you this morning. You know, it, it, it really has been a long couple of years here, you know, really. And I think that uh, it, it would be a great day to end around, if we could, if we, if this, to, to whatever level you're okay with. And people need to respect others. Don't get in people's faces if they don't want you in their face. But I'm going to ask, can we, can, we, can we just close in up here at the altar, Independence Day? How about that? You know, we're talking about freedom, and we're talking about being set free. And, you know, how many you say, well, I'm not afraid of COVID. I just got, a, I got plans today. Sometimes we just need to be free for a moment. I've got to head up the road here shortly, but you know what? My priority right now is being right here during this moment. I, gar I guarantee you, uh, I, I, I've got, I got somewhere i got to be. But I want you to know something. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to cut this short because I have plans. And I want you to hear me this morning. God wants to liberate this church. Maybe this is what it takes, that stepping out saying, you know what? I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid that I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get exposed to something or someone. And, and Lord, I, we, we do want to honor, honor people's need for space. I do. 
But you know what? We have, these altars got to get hot again. They just got to get hot. You know, they're, they're, there's no life if this altar isn't hot. It really isn't because we just get locked in, God, you know. At, at such and such a church, they have a 20-minute sermon. I'm out by 11.15, and we're the first in line. So what? Who cares? As you know, I've been here long enough that you should know that I don't care. God wants us to have a moment here at this altar where we celebrate the freedom he's given us. You know, we're going to come, these altars are going to be a place where we pray for people. I, I, I know, I talked to a lot of pastors today and they say, we don't really have altar services anymore. We don't do that. I got to tell you, I, I'm a kind of a tweener. I'm, I'm not young, but I'm not real, I'm not old, old, old. And I got to tell you, I've been around for a while and the, the most powerful moments in the corporate life of the church have often happened at the altars. And you say, you don't need to do it at the altar. We don't need to do anything, but there's something that happens. The dynamic changes when people move forward and say, God, we want you today. And Lord, we consecrate this because you consecrated that this altar area, this place, even from the front to the back, will never, ever, ever be restricted space. Lord, that this will never be restricted again, that this altar space will never be restricted by fear, never be restricted by COVID, never be restricted by anything. Lord, that we come here and we say, God, I believe if you're calling me forward to pray with others and to worship at your altar, that you're, you're going to take care of us Hallelujah. That doesn't mean that we ridicule, we, we speak ill of anyone who has reservated, not at all. But, you know, as a church, we're just going to say that sometimes there are people who come into the building who really need someone to pray over them. And, you know, we hurriedly move out because, you know, we, we don't do that anymore. Well, we do do that here. And we will do that. Lord, just pour out your spirit. Tammy, as you lead us in worship, how many here just... As we sing this song, you'll just breathe in the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about so much the, uh, what is it, the uh, Corona or the uh, A1963, whatever that is. I don't know. But let's just take a moment and let the Holy Spirit breathe into our spirit. Hallelujah. Go ahead, Tammy. Would you lead us? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live-streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG Littlestown, Pennsylvania.